what ended up happening. I, I just reconstructing my vision of myself, how and you know how I went about in the world and the conversations that I was having helped lead me, you know, to a place in which I started to see things in a, in a different way. And so I think for me, the most important thing that people need to do, like right away, is to say, how has racism harmed me? And how can I heal from that? Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Oh, the price we've paid as both black and white people because of racism. If we truly want to achieve racial solidarity, we have to start by talking about race, not racism. My guest today, Daniel John, DJ for short, has been involved with racial justice and solidarity work for 25 years. He's done workshops, speaking events, been on nonprofit boards, racial equity teams, diversity task forces, unity teams, and many more. He owns a gym and has been a sports performance coach for 22 years as well, but his journey progressed when he became a trainer and consultant with Soul Focused Group, which facilitates workshops and consulting for organizations seeking to move beyond racism and into power. Today, DJ offers us a history lesson about where the concept of race comes from and the real motive behind why it was created. We discuss the evolution of the psychology of racism and the inner work both black and white people need to do to find unity. DJ's approach is all about unity and what we can create together rather than what we fight against. DJ shares his epiphany that we're all healing from racism, what it did to our society, the boxes it puts us in, the division it's caused, the narratives it's created, and how we can do deep inner work to explore how racism has harmed us and how we can heal from it. We also explored the question, what does the world look like and feel like if racism no longer exists? And why is it better for us to have conversations about race rather than racism? I was so moved by today's talk, and I can't wait to do more work on this journey to create a more equitable and inclusive world. Hope you're excited as well. Let's get connected. If you're loving this content, don't forget to go to theempathyedge.com and sign up for the email list to get free resources and more empathy-infused success tips and find out how you can book me as a speaker. I want to hear how empathy is helping you be more successful. So please sign up now at theempathyedge.com. Oh, and follow me on Instagram where I'm always posting all the things for you at Red Slice Maria. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, Daniel John, otherwise known as DJ. 
So excited to have this conversation with you about racial solidarity and the role empathy can play in bridging some of those divides. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. I'm always excited to talk about the topic. So yeah, thank we, you. we had such a great um, pre-interview, which we actually should have recorded that because it was, <laughs> it was awesome. So much good stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you are a gym owner by day and I feel like a racial solidarity leader and activist also by day and night. So tell us how you even got to this work um, yeah. and your personal story related sure. to how you got to this work. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was 18 years old and I was a senior in high school and I did a workshop, um, with a group called the people's Institute, uh, for undoing structural racism. And um, I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, I guess prelude to that, um, my you know my parents have always been very heavily involved in the movement, you know, for racial justice. So we kind of came up learning. My sister and I grew up learning, you know, all about it. And so it was kind of a natural flow. And so I I also played baseball. And so I got a scholarship to play at the University of Washington. And um, I went in, you know, kind of thinking that, like, I started out as a physics and math and <laughs> double major. I'm thinking, okay, I like science, you know, I, this history, sociology, racial justice stuff is fun, but I don't really know. And I'm just all about playing ball, right? So after my junior year, uh, I was medically disqualified. I got, got injured. And at that point in time, I had, I was almost done with a, his, with a history degree and a soci, sociology degree and a minor in physics. And they, at the time I got injured, they said, well, you know, we really want you around. We want you to coach. And so um, I actually got hired as a strength and conditioning coach at the University of Washington. So that threw me into the world of anatomy, kinesis, and physiology and biomechanics and, and, you know, it was great. It was, a, you know, I love training. I love coaching and, and you know, working with athletes and whatnot. And so um, what I ended up doing is because I've always had this passion for, you know, racial solidarity work and racial unity work. I would just volunteer, you know, mm -hmm. so I, you know, served on several boards and I did work in the community and did mentorship work. And just so on and on, I, I continued mm -hmm. um, just helping in that arena. And I actually left the University, uh, the University of Washington in 2006 to start my own business. And it's been going for about 15 years now. So um, the, the, the gym, yeah, the gym by day, <laughs> the racial unity work by day and night is a great way to describe it. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leap forward a little bit, uh, Maria, on this because it's actually one of the reasons that um, I find myself here with you is that, that, you know, this gym has given me a space to connect with people and um, really understanding race is all about connection. And so, you know, after George Floyd um, happened, everybody wanted to talk and it, because it was, you know, a natural fit for me, um, you know, I, I loved it. I welcomed it. I invited it, you know, in and, and um, any opportunity I had, I, I chatted with people. And so I ended up doing a Instagram live with one of my clients who had like a million and a half followers. And so there was like a hundred some thousand people watched it. And so after that, what I, they, you know, like she just kind of convinced me to start my own Instagram saying, okay, well, you know, people need to, you know, hear this more and, and get involved with this more and more engaged. And so I did. And so throughout 2020, you know, that I, I 
I just had tons of conversations about race and, and mm-hmm. I ended up, um, I was involved in starting the, uh, diversity task force for the national strength and conditioning association, um, which of course I'm a part of, and the national high school strength coaches association started a, a unity committee that I was a part of as well. Um, and so I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go beyond there because there's more of the story that is tied <laughs> exactly. into what we're going to talk about yeah. today. So I'm going to leave it there um, just as a bit of my background, but essentially that's how I, a, I got a teaser. And, yeah. And, and you're working now with soul focus group, which I is am. an organization that, that mm-hmm. does uh, facilitation of human solidarity workshops for organizations just for folks who can't see you right now, can you mm-hmm. just tell us a little bit about your background and how your parents yeah. got into all this work as well? Absolutely. Um, well, I am a kind of a walking symbol of racial unity. You know, my dad was white and he, he just passed. So he was white and my, my mom is black. And, um, you know, both sides of my family were very supportive of everyone in it. You know, so we didn't have, you know, any racial issues at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my, the white side of my family actually were Quaker. Um, we didn't, um, my, my dad, so my, essentially my grandparents were, you know, continued in the, the Quaker faith. My dad didn't really participate actively and my mom's side was, was Catholic, but, um, everybody got along everybody, you know, like I said, there was, there was really no racial issues at all. And, and I was just reading a book, actually, Thomas Chatterton Williams read, uh, wrote a book called Unlearning Race. And one of the things he mentions and that stuck with me was that there are very, there's a lot of black folks in our country who spend their entire lives without ever really having true intimate um, love from white people, right? So especially when, you know, in the younger, in our younger years, if you don't have any real um, true connection, you know, to white folks, there's, um, you know, you grow up with certain ideas and resentments and um, thoughts about, you know, what white folks are to you and what this stuff all means, right? And so for me, as, you know, someone who's Black and mixed, you know, I grew up with Black people and white people and when my you know, my parents had lots of friends of, mm-hmm. of kinds of nationalities. Yeah. Um, you, you had, it, loving, it, was nor- it was normalized so was, for you. Was, yeah, exactly. And, and it was so love of all was, was normalized. So that made mm-hmm. this, this really easy. So I, you know, I know um, you mentioned the soul focus group, so I'm going to tie this together here real quick. I, um, so as you know, a black person during a time early after George Floyd, where there was a lot of talk about like, okay, as black people, should we take on this, the learning for white folks? Should we like be answering all of these okay. questions? Some and people, people, people no. have very definite opinions about that. Oh yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people said no. Some people said yes. I was always, you know, I am someone who um, believes that doors open and they close. And so there was a window of opportunity for us all when the newspapers decided to go down into Alabama and shed some light on the dogs and the fire hoses. And um, there has been another window and door that has opened since George Floyd. And so I think we need to take advantage of it. And I think that all of us need to be open to conversations Mm -hmm. uh, about race. And so I was someone who I was a huge proponent of it. 
Mm -hmm. um, I said, you know what, we can't be, we can't, we can't sit on the, uh, we can't sit on the bench right now when people want to talk. Do you think that that was from your background? Because I've spoken to other people of color who very, like I said, very adamantly are like, it's not our job to mm -hmm. educate white people on our experience, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. though there are many white people with good intentions that are like, how else am I going to understand the experience unless I talk to people mm -hmm. and they can read books and they can, you know, find their own information. But mm -hmm. what, what do you think gives you that perspective? Is it, is it because of your upbringing of seeing the power of bringing those groups together or what, what do you think makes that difference for you? Well, yeah, I definitely think that's part of it. You know, race is really all about our perspectives and our experiences, you know, and the, I think the, the, the thing that I saw then and I continue to see even now is that people love to talk about racism, but they don't like to talk about race. And that's primarily because we don't learn about race. We learn about racism, but we do not understand or grow or learn about race. And so for it's, you know, most of America, not just white folks, most of America don't understand our racial history or our racial disconnect. Right, right. And I want to get into divide. that. Yeah. And yeah. I want to get into that because you've talked to me before about the fact that race is a human made concept. And so can you give us a little bit of that history lesson on that? Cause I know you've, you've studied it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total, it's completely a social construction and mm -hmm. it, and it happened for one specific reason. And that reason was to divide us. Okay. And so normally when I'm having these conversations, Maria, I, I generally stop, you know, I, I stop at racism and I let, you know, inform folks that we, you know, that's, we're jump putting the heart, the, the cart in front of the horse. When we do that, we have to talk about race first. Okay. Because in, you know, 350 years ago, there was no race and it really only became significant in 1705. So we're talking 315 years ago. Right. So in the, the word white hadn't actually been written consistently until 1680 in the house of Burgesses. Okay. And in 1676, there was a very significant event that happened. Well, I, I believe probably one of the most significant in our history. So essentially, we were all New Worlders. And um, there was a man named Nathaniel Bacon, who led a revolt um, of slaves and also white indentured servants against the colonial elites in Virginia, William Berkeley. And so um, it was very successful. And, you know, so after that event, the the colonial elites knew that they're you know they were going to have to do something to keep all of these really poor folks uh from overthrowing you know throwing them off the land and and just and and killing them and because essentially you had tons of slaves and you had tons of of white indentured servants and so what they decided to do was specifically designate European settlers, people that were coming into the country as white and African slaves or new world slaves, essentially as black. There was three categories. Race was created for two, but there was three categories. Indigenous, what they called savages back then, of course, was one and white and black were the other. So the purpose of creating race was actually to create what we call whiteness which really operated as this club, which said to you, the indentured servants and European, really poor European settlers, mostly, you know, um, Scots-Irish that were coming in, um, that said, look, you, you know, we, you don't have a lot, but 
you, you at least you're not black. You have mm-hmm. a little bit more than them. Yeah. They right? created an us so versus them dynamic. They created an us versus them. So what happened was that immediately by creating race, right? Since we only did it to create, in fact, a value proposition, white identity became explicitly tied to the inferiority of black and essentially black slaves. And that is what has been the most damaging part of what we have to deal with and clean up now, right? So what we're, we're all living with it and we're trying to figure it out and we're trying to, trying to grasp it. But, but it, the, the difficult part is because as a society, we've never really gotten to the root of what's going on. We think, it's, we think honestly that it's slavery because we had a system of race-based slavery here you know, we think that that um, that that has caused everything else. Now, the where slavery ties in, it's very important, is because it was the economic system that grew this nation. We are we are explicitly tied to race. There is no America if there is no race, and there is no America if there is no racism, right? Because racism followed race. Mm-hmm. They had to justify this, you know, torturous, horrible system that grew wealth, right? That allowed us to even go to war with England. Mm -hmm. So there wouldn't be a country if there was no slavery, there wouldn't be slavery if there wasn't racism and there wouldn't be racism if there was no race. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, the psychology behind what it means is what has been so damaging to all of us, especially in this era where, you know, essentially we are uh, you know, let's say 1971 was like one of the last laws on the books to go that explicitly said, okay, you know what, black people are less than white folks, right? So we're in this era that, there, you know, there's no real written laws and policies like there were at following the civil rights movement that says, okay, you know what, well, black people, you are less than white people in so, in so many ways, right? Now laws are administered in different ways. But all of it is tied to the idea, to this construct, that essentially white people are the best people, right? And everyone else is kind of second in, in line, you know, depending on who you are and how you look and, some, and how dark you are, and, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. if, we can, if we understand that the root of this was made up, we just pulled it out of thin air, okay? Mm-hmm. There were, there's no biological reference to, you know, or the specificity of race at all. I mean, there's more racial, you know, di- or there's more genetic diversity within race than across. We've seen that because of Ancestry.com and 23andMe, <clears throat> right? We, it, we know that it was just simply made up to keep us disconnected. Then we can start to think, okay, you know what? Now I'm, I, I can somewhat understand why it is that I... I'm so confused, you know, when um, somebody says, well, you know, like all white people are racist or somebody else says, well, I don't, you know, then like, I don't get why, um, you know, all, um, you know, black people are, are, uh, they're killing each other, but they're talking about the police or I don't, you know, this, all of these, um, this disproportionality, is it, you know, doesn't it really just come from work ethic? Why don't they just work harder? And why don't, you know, I don't, I like everybody and, and, you know, I never hurt anybody. And so why am, you know, wh- why are they blaming me? And, and, and it turns directly, it turns into an us versus them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm at the point now 
and after 25 years of doing this and talking and being involved, that any conversation that has to, to that pit, that essentially pits two perspectives against one another mm-hmm. is is not a conversation that I'm really interested in. It's not going to get us towards where we want to be, mm-hmm. which I'm going to assume is to get end racism. Mm-hmm. And for me, what ending racism is is eradicating the value that is tied to race. So we still have racial differences. We still value our uniqueness and our difference, but we all see each other as Americans. Mm -hmm. And we focus on what unites us. I love that you said that DJ, because I think that's often the missing piece is we need to have more conversations. We need to have more programs. We need to have more this, that, the other, to what end? And I love that you've just defined that. The goal of all this is X. The goal is not to shame people. The goal is not to rehash. I mean, we have to educate and be aware, but I don't know if anyone has ever articulated what the goal is of why we're talking about this so much and why we need to talk about so much and why we need anti-racism education and and why I think people have put it into a moral camp of, of if they are racist, but don't admit that they are, they feel that their identity is being attacked mm-hmm. and they feel that just, you know, maybe it's, it's just, it's all going to be angry. It's all going to be blame. It's all going to be this. And no one yeah. ever articulates the way you just did. What are we doing all this for? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I That's think it. if we, if we could make more people aware of that, you take the fear out of it for some people, mm-hmm. you know, you know, kind of for me, I, I'm, I am going to pass judgment, these crazy theories of replacement theory and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. No one's trying to usurp anyone else. We're just trying to create unity and harmony. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like the way you just described it, um, tone, not tones it down, but de-escalates it a little bit yeah. to where you yeah. might actually be able to get people in the same room talking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and like, I think in our first conversation, one of the things I asked you was like, um, you know, if racism ends today and you step out of your house tomorrow, what does the world look like? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? What does it sound like? You know, what what are the conversations? What are the behaviors? What are the interactions? What are the, how are laws administered? How are, how, what are the political discussions like? You know, what are, um, you know, in investment conversations, like what does everything about our society look like? And you, mm-hmm. and if you are really serious about ending racism, like if we're just, you know, I mean, if we're just, so I, I, one of the questions you asked at the, at the beginning was like, okay, where are we in this? You know, we're two uh, today. We are two years. Of, uh, yeah. You know, as of this recording, we're, we're, um, we're honoring the second anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Right. You know, a lot of folks say we've made a lot of progress. A lot of folks say that we, you know, how, what kind of progress really, you know, have we made, you know, what, mm-hmm. what where, are, where are we? Right. So, you know, for me, if we're really looking at like, okay, creating racial unity, creating equity and, and, and ending this, then like all of the work to hire all this DEI folks and all of these discussions and podcasts and, and, and all of this stuff, like, if it doesn't move us towards ending it, mm-hmm. why are we doing it? 
Exactly. Right? And I think why people can't picture. Why are we doing it? Yeah. And people can't picture. They've. I don't think we've thought through enough what you just said. Yeah. What does it look like? Visualize what does it feel it. like to, it? Yeah. We got to visualize it. We do. And for me, what it is, like I mentioned to you, mm-hmm. is that I can step into a world and, and move throughout a society in which my skin color, my hair texture, and my eye color bears no value. Okay. It's different. Yes. We, we, you know, like lots of people say, well, we'll find differences. We're tribal by nature, you know? Yeah, there, there will be differences, but guess what? Let's take race out of it. I mean, let's actually know it. No, I'm sorry. There are going to be differences, but we can choose how to see those differences. Right. So our Mm -hmm. differences are unique and they're valuable. Mm -hmm. We are all Americans. We're here to create a stronger society. Okay. Mm -hmm. What we can also do at the same time is say, because someone looks different than I do, that doesn't mean they are less than me or better than me. We can hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. Yeah, we yeah, are both and. creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we can do that. Completely, right? completely. And, and, and so th- there's, there's something else that I want to bring up that you mentioned too, that um, just a bit ago, I don't remember exactly the context, but you said if somebody you know, is a racist or they, they don't, maybe they aren't, or they don't know they are, or they're trying not to. So th- this is one word that I think is actually very problematic for us. Mm-hmm. And we, we either need to break it all the way down or we just need to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because to what, what I have not ever been um, privy to is someone defining what a racist is. Okay. Is that just someone who doesn't like somebody because of their race? Is it somebody who one time went to a Klan rally and then, you know, is it somebody who was in the Klan 30 years and then denounced and then has been working for racial justice for 10 years? Is it, someone who, um, you know, votes um, for policies that um, are damaging to communities of color? Is it, what is it exactly? Or is it just someone who's mean to people of color? Is it someone who is nice to people of color to their face, but not when they're not around? Like, yeah, there's so many, we've, we've never defined that. And it's not helpful. No. It's not if it's if where we're trying to go is to build racial unity and American racial solidarity, mm-hmm. right, and end the value proposition tied to race. Okay, mm-hmm. it just trying to point out and find who the racists are, or trying to distance yourself from the 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 word, or you know what I mean, like or or um, you know, I felt I, like every time that they're in George Floyd, I mean, like okay. He's one of many, many, many incidents since I've been really heavily involved in this work in the last 20 some years in which I've watched our society do two things. One is open. Some doors get opened. And the other is is people run from the idea of race and racism and say, see, that's what's that's what racism is. That's not me. I'm not that I'm not tied to that. Right. It's like is there's this weird there's it's but it always comes back to disconnection, Maria. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really does. I mean, racism so effectively disconnects us. Mm-hmm. Right. It's told white people they can only be tall when black people are on their knees. OK, it's told black people you're never going to be as good as white folks. And I'm just using really I'm using black and white now because mm-hmm. when we created race, it was it was really it was created for black and white. And so, right. all, right. you know, it, 
it, the concept of Asian as a race is stupid. Okay. The concept of, you know, Mexican as a race or Latino as a race, right? It was designed for skin color, eye texture, you know, or eye color and, and hair texture, right? So mm-hmm. we often confuse ethnic origin and nationality and race with each other, which mm-hmm. makes people more confused, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Right. Racism is extremely complex. It's the most I think it's the most complex domestic issue we have. Is there is is there ever a vision for you that if we got to a world where, like you said, we walk out our door, we wake up one day and there is no racism. Are we not even using that word anymore? Well, it it doesn't mean anything. Right. Right. I mean, it it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily mean anything now that we're not going to. Race is, is, is there, right? It's part of who we are. It is, we are who we are because of race. It is America's export to the world, <laughs> right? We, this is our biggest impact. We are who we are because of race. So it's not like we're just, it's just going to go away. Okay. But maybe we find different terms. Maybe we internalize the meaning behind it differently, which is kind of what, what I, I hope happens right so skin color hair texture uh, you know eye colors the differences are there you know but as as long as we in you know interact and behave and reprogram our subconscious and our conditioning to understand that race really means nothing we just made it up (laughs) then we can live in a society where i think that this you know that so here's 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 an interesting thing that um, I learned through the Soul Focus Group, actually, which I can talk more about in a minute. But which is that you know we like to talk about systems and institutions all the time, racism and structural racism, institutional racism. We like to bring that up, but who makes up systems and institutions? We do. So the reason why all of these laws and the way systems operate the way they do is because people brought the psychology of race, Mm -hmm. they brought their social conditioning into their arena of work, whether that be political or corporate or Mm -hmm. nonprofit, it doesn't matter. We're just taking who we are and our conditioning with us everywhere we go. So if if we can end the, and heal from the racism within us, mm-hmm. right? And that's everybody, okay? That's all people in this society. If we can heal, you know, and work on racism within us, then we can start to go out mm-hmm. to society and to the system, the schools and the, and the you know, corporations and the banks and the exactly. criminal justice system. We got to start with our, ourselves. Well, and that's something we we dug into really was this, was this power of, of looking at, obviously looking inward and looking for what, you know, you, I think mm-hmm. we had talked about the fact that a lot of it is about fear, about lack of love, about insecurity, that people are embracing these human-made constructs because it serves them. Mm-hmm. So what, what's an example of, or even just generally, what's, what is the inner work that people need to do? And is it different mm-hmm. if you're black versus white? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So the answer might be no, I don't know, but no, the answer me. is absolutely yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. The, the the work that we need to do is based on our racial perspective, right? Okay. So I'll, I'll tell you about me. So um 
uh, just briefly, I was doing all these discussions. I'll take it back for a second. In 2020, I get to the end of 2020 and something's not sitting right with me. I don't, I can't figure out what is going on. I'm having tons of conversations, but, but I, but something is not really clicking and, and I'm realizing that, that it's, I don't feel like I am participating in something that will create transformational change. And one of the main reasons was because all of the conversations I was having with primarily white folks was that essentially tied them to um, feeling for someone else. So essentially it was that like, you race, this really sucks. And like, uh, man, I wanna do something about it. But ingrained in them, that meant they want to do something for people of color, not for themselves. And I, I couldn't put a word on it yet. I didn't quite know. But what ended up happening is in January of 2021, I got connected through this Instagram deal to the Soul Focus Group. And I got to sit in on a workshop. And they, have, they, have, um, they do a four to five part you know, workshop. And um, the, this particular workshop was part two. And it was called Healing from Racism. And when I heard the title, I'm like, okay, well, that must be for people of color. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, people of color, pe people have been hurt by somehow, right. whether, you know, some action or something, right? right? I didn't know. People who quote unquote were victims of racism. Quote yeah. unquote victims, yes. And it was a completely different experience for me sitting in on it. And, I, and, and it, it forced me to like really take a look at how I've defined myself and how my parents might've defined themselves and how I was helping educate my children based on like essentially living in a society, swimming in this ocean, which essentially says white folks are better than black folks. And, and so I, I started to deconstruct and I went deeper and deeper and I got more involved with them. But the thing for me was like, okay, I really need to take a look at what's going on with me and, um, you know, before I go out here and tell everybody else how to do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, what I found was that like, um, you know, my, my, any conversation that I would have started with this initial thought that like, well, I'm, I'm going to be judged based on my intellect and based on my um, a, a ability to appear, you know, capable and, you know, and how confident I am, how smart I am. And I know that because as a, as a black man, I mean, that's my, my experience and it shaped, it's an, it shaped my conversations and it shaped my behavior and it shaped my energy. And, it, mm -hmm. and, and so I never really um, thought deep enough about how big a part of my life that had been, how many times I you were just used to doing it. I was just used to doing it. Yeah. Right? I think so that, and sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I just want to add, cause this is so important and not that it's equated, but you know, oppression of any kind. I think there's so many women that end up realizing that when they get older and more confident in their careers, they start realizing that so many, much of their decision-making so much of what they br brought to work or how they acted at work was through a lens of, I have to make sure that as a woman, I am perceived or not perceived a certain way. And this is the thing that mm -hmm. I think is, is true of any marginalized group as related to white males who are, mm -hmm. you know, we're not saying you are all horrible people, but mm -hmm. you are just not used to having to deal with that inner narrative at any point 
in your life where it's, yeah. it's, you have to wonder how you're showing up as a white man. <laughs> yeah. But I, I will, I will pause you on that one is that, but so white men have their own difficulties. Of course. Right? And, and so that, and one of them we are seeing in the last, like we're seeing the result of in the last 20 years or mm-hmm. so with this, with the rise of white male white suicide yes. and, and white male suicide age mm-hmm. 40 to 60, right? Because we've all been lied to. We have been duped. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have been led to believe that white men are essentially the people who run and should run and who have the, our country and our society and who have um, the best judgment and they should be the lawyers and the politicians and the CEOs. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, it's just cause that's, well, and that hurts those people too. Yeah, well, that, it that, ex- does. that expectation. I think that's you getting to that point of like, everyone is healing from this. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we're all victim to this. None of mm-hmm. us created this, right? This was created hundreds of years before any of us were born, before our parents were born, hundreds of years before our grandparents were born, right? We're all living in it. Okay. And all of us do have healing to do. Yes. What like white men have been totally disconnected and cut off from people of color because of the value proposition put on our ancestors. Mm-hmm. It has put them in a position, like I said earlier, you know, that in which they, they're expected to be tall because everyone else can be, only be, you know, when everyone else is on their knees. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we're all, we are all playing a role. It's taken whiteness is something that was done to people and blackness was something that was done to people, right? It's not something that was done for us. It was done to us in order to disconnect us. And mm-hmm. so I think when we're, when we're talking about these issues, we always have to remember that race has got, it's, it's really our only connector. It's not the disconnector. It's actually the connector. It was something to done, done to all of us in a different way mm-hmm. and for a, one reason, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? To make money. Mm-hmm. It was to make money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, and so, so, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, Maria, but to take it back to what, what ended up happening, I, I just reconstructing my vision of myself, how, and you know, how I went about in the world and the conversations that I was having helped lead me, you know, to a place in which I started to see things in a, in a different way. And um, so I think for me, the most important people, most important thing that people need to do like right away is to say how has racism harmed me and how can i heal from that how has racism harmed me and how can i heal from that and when you had that that breakthrough did things start to align did you did you realize that that was the missing piece for you uh, yeah well it definitely set me on a path of of learning Mm-hmm. learning more. I thought I had this stuff figured out. <laughs> right. I know, but you, you said you always sort of felt like something didn't quite jive for you. Well, it didn't quite, I, quite at, resonate at the end of 2020, right. <laughs> but all the way up through that, you know, until the fall of 2020, I was like, you know, I kind of have this stuff figured out. I know the story. I know our history. I know, you know, uh, about implicit bias. And I know about, you know, our, you know, about structural racism and I know about a criminal justice system. So I kind of have it figured out. It was all about teaching. Honestly, it was like mostly about teaching white people about the perspectives of people of color, you know, and I thought that was it, mm-hmm. but it's not. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I, I shifted my learning and it became 
much more so. And I'm, I'm, I'm so like glad that, that you're, the podcast is about empathy because really that's, this is about our connection to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's about us, you know, and, and we mentioned the last time we talked, you know, these a- acts of hate come because of deep feelings of insecurity, right. Mm-hmm. And lack of love and, neglect and things that have to do with who we are as beings. It's the same reason why racism has just been so been able to be so rampant because we're so mentally unhealthy in our society right now. Mm-hmm. We don't feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So just so, so any, you know, um, any, any, anybody who's different from me must be less than me somehow. Right. right? Because or, they're, trying, or they're trying to take something from me. They're trying to take something from me because mm-hmm. I'm constantly trying to justify my own being and mm-hmm. who I am and my, my, you know, my strength and, and my, you know, my, my intellect, all of that. It just it starts with me. Right. You know, and I love, as you were talking, I just got this lovely image of, wouldn't it be great instead of all of these issues, like there's a group of us that as, as an example at my son's school are trying to build like an equity and inclusion group. Mm-hmm. It's already being, you know, just from trying to gauge if there was interest there was all sorts of fear mongering and all sorts of like, oh, this means they're going to bring CRT to the school and blah, 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 blah. And like, what a different image I get from hearing you describe the mutual healing that it's not walking into a room ready for a confrontation. It's mm-hmm. almost like everyone putting their arms around each other mm-hmm. and going, we have all suffered from this. Mm-hmm. We are not, we are not coming into this group or into this room to shame or blame or whatever, we're going to, we're going to become more aware of what's been done to all of us. And I just, Mm -hmm. as you were talking, I just got this image of like, what a, what a more thriving conversation you have. If you're envisioning it that way, where you're all putting your arms around each other and you're walking into that room together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then maybe those, you know, if we had more of that talk, and more of that understanding, we could bring people along, even if they don't think they need healing, but they just mm-hmm. know oh, I'm going to get into the room because I know this isn't going to be an attack on me. Mm-hmm. And they might uncover their own epiphanies if we can at least get them in the room. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just, I love that. And I, you know, one of the, the, the person that connected us, the wonderful Whitney keys mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. the fact that why we needed to talk was because you do bring this very joyful aspect to this, this very unifying aspect to this conversation. And I think I just felt it in what you described and how you described it. For sure. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, we have this incredible opportunity right now Mm -hmm. to really connect with each other and grow from each other and create the kind of society in which we, we really genuinely all thrive Mm -hmm. based on, you know, the, the work we put in and, and, you know, who we can become, you know what I mean? And it, but it's, it's really going to take all of us and it's going to take us, you know, looking inside ourselves and realizing, you know, how, like I said, how we've been harmed and how we can grow and, and being honest with ourselves. I mean, you mentioned um, that, you know, CRT and, and, and that really, the fear of CRT really comes from, it started out with the idea that um, somehow all white people are racist, right? Or that, that the idea that, that all white people really know, let me scoop back. It's that all white people are bad. 
So right, what, right. what a lot of people heard is that like all white people are bad, even though they had nothing, they had knew nothing about critical race theory or right, why it right, was created. Right. Right? Most it of the people that, that hate it don't understand it. So, and, yeah. And so then that became, I am bad. Mm-hmm. So as soon as it's, I am bad, I'm, I'm totally rejecting anything that has to do with it. Of course. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so, you know, this is all tied to our insecurity and how we feel about each other and how we feel and about why it ourselves. requires the healing and why it requires healing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, DJ, we're going to have many more talks, I'm sure. But thank you so much for sharing this um, history lesson and your insights and your perspectives on this. Um, Folks can probably get in touch with you for workshops or speaking on this topic as well. And the, the joyful aspect that you bring to it. But where's the best place for people to connect with you and, and learn more? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so the Instagram that I, st- that I started, of course, and, and still like to post stuff on is, is a good one. Um, that's just my name at Daniel underscore uh, John. Um, J-A-H-N. J-A-H-N. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's German. It's German. I love um, it. And then also, you know, I highly encourage people to look at the Soul Focus Group's website and connect, you know, if um, whether or not you're a part of an organization or a business, you know, um, there, there is tons of there. I think they have, there's an online curriculum now, you know, there's more um, that will be available for folks just to mm-hmm. tap into, you know, the it's, it's a breath of fresh air. I'll tell yeah. you, you know, uh, it's a breath of fresh air and it's a, it's a, it's a solution focused um, solution focused workshops and ideas and language around this topic that mm-hmm. everybody can buy into really. I love yeah, it. And so. we will have their link in the show notes as well. So excellent. thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. And thank you for sharing your insights as well. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm, I'm always, like I said, I'm always up to talk and then we can chat again whenever. For sure. We might have to have you on again. And thank yeah. you everyone for listening to another episode of the Empathy Edge podcast. If you loved it, please share it with a colleague or a friend and don't forget to rate and review. We love that. And until next time, remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion and unity are not mutually exclusive. Take care and be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Tremendous success.